0: in this whole conversation around beauty, how media impacts the way that we see our bodies, our beauty, how media impacts the way that we spend our dollars. But who is media? Who is the voice behind this media? Today's guest is one of those voices. Her name is Jamie Sick. She was the former beauty director of Violet Gray. She's a contributing editor at Elle and Women's Wear Daily. Jamie launched And Repeat with her co-founder Ben Rabb. And this is the most beautiful platform that champions stories of daily rituals that directly impact your mental health and open the door to conversations that are commonly spoken about in private. I'm so thrilled to have Jamie joining us on the podcast today because I feel like this is a woman who is going to be offering a perspective that we don't often get to hear as somebody who writes for these major publications, specifically in the area of beauty. And let me tell you, she is going to surprise you. She gets really raw and real about her own story, living with orthorexia, how beauty and fashion and living so immersed in this world has impacted her own mental health. We talk about the business of beauty and the junction of beauty and fashion as creative expression versus something that we derive our value from. Jamie also walks us through the difference between routines and rituals in supporting our mental health. Let's dive in. Jamie, thank you so much for joining me today on Raw Beauty Talks. Thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor. We're so lucky to have somebody who is so well-versed in the language of beauty, beauty product, somebody who has written about this for years and years and years and really had your finger on the pulse. How long did you work at writing for um, Women's Wear Daily? So I was at Women's Wear Daily for about, I think it was about
1: four years. That was where I started my career and was an assistant and moved my way up. And so um, that was like the first time the beauty industry was where I had my focus. Because before that, being in college, I thought I was going to be in fashion. So Ah. um, beauty was not my first love by any means. My mom worked in the beauty industry um, and my dad's actually um, worked in fashion. So I was very immersed within sort of the industry from both fronts, but just like would rather buy clothes
0: than buy beauty products, I guess is the best way to put it. Okay. So this was very much sort of the water that you grew up in, conversations around beauty and fashion. What do those things mean to you? Yeah. I mean, you know, fashion, like I said, was
1: sort of like my first love. So I think I actually, very, at a very young age, like had a, a specific personal style. I actually, my cousin owns a store in New York that's like truly an iconic store. It's called Trash and Vaudeville. And it's very um rooted in punk. And so they used to make children's clothing. And so I wore like rainbow bell bottoms and like a shirt with like, I don't know, like probably like rings. Like there just was like a lot going on. And so my mom fully just like opened the door to that and was like, wear whatever you want. And she was very similar. She had like really great style as well. And so, you know, it was all about personal style for me and just sort of like letting that fly. And I would say that I've gotten like a little bit not conservative. I'm definitely not a conservative person, but like my style has changed so much over the years. And it's interesting how beauty sort of made its way into that. And skincare is always sort of my first love. And I think that just felt like a natural progression. I didn't really feel the need to like utilize a lot of products to like cover up things. But I would say that clothing has become the thing that I've started to cover up more when it comes to more mental health stuff in terms of like body image. So... I feel like that was a roundabout answer, but uh,
0: we can go into that too. (laughs) Oh, my God. I'm so excited to talk to you about so many of these things. I want to dive into skincare. I want to dive into body image, especially someone who's working in this industry where that's such a focal point. The way that you look is such a focal point. But before we go there, I just want to touch on something that I am always curious about, I would say, is... Mm -hmm. This balance between fashion and beauty being an expression of self, which I think it very much is. Mm -hmm. And then the tipping point where it becomes something that we feel we need to do in a certain way in order to be accepted or loved. And I feel like in the initial Raw Beauty Talks interview that I did where I spoke with over 200 women, it became very clear that some of these women Their form of creative expression, the way they, I don't know, like stepped out into the world, it was so deeply tied to the way that they dressed themselves or the way that they put Mm -hmm. on makeup. It was artistic. It was fun for them. It was like something that they, you know, had been into since they were little. And then there was this whole other group of women who kind of liked it, like to some degree, but also felt like they had to do it. Like, And so there's this kind of dichotomy of two different ways in which beauty and fashion connect with us. Mm -hmm. Have you experienced that yourself or has it always been this creative expression?
1: I think it's always been this creative expression. I've never felt like I needed to like leave the house with like a full face of makeup on or even just putting on mascara. Like I've always felt comfortable just sort of like going as I am. But, um, Yeah, beauty specifically in terms of like covering up or feeling like I needed to look a certain way wasn't necessarily something that I fell into. I think it was more so about feeling comfortable in the clothes that I'm wearing. And that comes from a place of body image where you know I might put on a pair of jeans that feel a little bit tighter today. And so that would just like really, really just like set me up for not so good of a day. And so that was sort of like how I walked into the world was like that was like the way my mood shifted was like putting something on and seeing how I felt in it. I guess I've just never felt the pressure of like having to add a little bit of color or have you know make sure my roots are done before I've seen I'm seeing someone like
0: that's never necessarily been my mo. I love that. I feel like it's so wonderful to talk to somebody where that pressure isn't necessarily felt. Around the beauty stuff, but I also hear you saying that you do feel it around the body image. So tell me a little bit about your relationship with your body.
1: Yeah, I mean, I have felt uncomfortable in my body since I started going through puberty. I remember just like seeing my friends and feeling like they had thinner waists or, you know, paying attention to maybe like their size and pants versus mine. I was the girl who like developed a little bit more quickly than my other friends and having bigger boobs was a sign of me getting bigger. And so I wore sports bras probably till I was like 18 just so that I could feel flatter. And even in high school, when I saw that, like my friends start to develop more than me and my boobs weren't as big, I still wore that sports bra. It was sort of like my safe space. And, you know, I dealt a lot with, you know, Now talking to my therapist, she says I have a lot of orthorexic tendencies. Have my own version of eating disorder because eating eating disorder just it doesn't have a look, and I've learned that over time.
0: It absolutely does not. Can you explain what orthorexia is to those who maybe don't know?
1: Yeah, I mean it's definitely more like I have an obsession with like clean eating and you know the substitutions of healthy food, and you know I've seen that evolution. And the thing about my orthorexia is that like, I am so aware of it. And I'm so aware of like, my image and the way that I feel about myself that it's almost more detrimental that I'm that aware. But in terms of orthorexia, you know, like, there was a time where I worked with a nutritionist, and she said, don't eat all of these things. And so I saw, of course, like the weight that I had lost, and sort of the different things that made me feel better. And so sort of, that in the back of my mind was like, this is the way I have to go. Even though I know, like, I sh- can be eating carbs, like, that is fine. And people should enjoy food. I have a lot of shame around food. I think about my next meal, I think about the meal that I've already eaten and what I shouldn't have eaten eating things that I deem unhealthy in quotes because I think that like being orthorexic, I feel that way a lot about certain things. I'm trying to like pivot the way I think obviously and that's through like working with a therapist and doing all these things. But ultimately I've learned a lot about myself and it helps in some ways, but some ways it's actually more detrimental.
0: It's so challenging to pull ourselves out of these spaces of disordered eating because food's something we engage with multiple times a day. It's not like you can just compartmentalize and be like, well, I won't see that again until next summer. It's constantly there along with the messages of the way that we should eat, the way that we, our bodies should look. Diet culture is everywhere. And I can only imagine that working in the beauty industry and growing up with a family where it's so deeply integrated that those messages are just that much more prominent.
1: Yeah, I grew up in in a home where my mom had an eating disorder and so that of course fed into that and and we can also talk about this. I've been on an antidepressant since I was 9 years old and so that's a whole other story, but ultimately, you know, dealing with my body image is something that I kind of feel like I'm actually for the first time I'm seeing a therapist who actually specializes in body image and bo- and eating disorders. I've never been with a therapist that I've like truly felt comfortable with or actually like felt like, oh, I'm really excited for my session. And this is for the first time. I've only seen her for about like three months. So it's really new. I'm really hoping that the healing process will begin and I can start to accept myself,
0: you know, the way I've always wanted to. Thank you so much for sharing all of this. I feel like most of the time when I'm talking to people, they've kind of gone through the healing process and they feel ready to talk about it because they've got it figured out. I think it's so incredibly courageous and beautiful to share when you're still in it. So many people listening to this podcast are also in it right now. And so Mm -hmm. to just be able to feel a little less alone, I've been in it. Everything that you're saying, I feel like a pit in my stomach listening to it and knowing how much mental space it takes up and energy and how scary it is. Like, people say, just eat a hamburger or (laughs) just make a thing of Betty Crocker brownies. And it's like, no, that stuff is so (laughs) incredibly scary. But I can say that I have been there and have gotten through it and it is 100% possible and it is so much better on the other side. So I'm so glad you found somebody that you connect with because I think that's half the battle. And then Mm -hmm. just continuing to take those steps forward.
1: Yeah. You know, I've... I've always been a really honest person. Like you ask me a question, I will most likely answer it and probably give you more. But I think that maybe more publicly and maybe not even publicly enough, which is like a whole other conversation. It's like, am I doing enough to talk about what I'm going through? Because I, I want to be vulnerable, but I also want to do it in a way that where, you know, I'm not the person who's really comfortable going on Insta story and Being like, today, this is what happened. And it's great for those people who can. I just don't think it comes naturally for me. And I I feel like I'm complaining. And I I don't look at that as other people, you know, on the internet who are doing that. Like, no judgment there. But my contribution to that is helping to tell other people's stories. And I'm sure we'll get into this. But, you know, that's why my husband slash co-founder and I launched P, which is our mental health platform. But yeah, you know, I think that sharing your own story, whether you have healed or you're in the healing
0: process, um, is so important to show people that they're not alone. It is incredibly important. And you have such a beautiful gift as a writer and an entrepreneur and somebody who's really got their finger on the pulse here. over. So tell us about And Pete, because I'm obsessed with this and I love the idea of it and I want to talk all about rituals and all of the things. So yeah. yeah. So we launched
1: And Pete. wow, it's going to be a year and a sometime in October, which is crazy. Anyways, it started as just an Instagram. We've slowly made it into a website, an editorial website and a newsletter, and we're hoping to launch a YouTube channel as well. But basically how it started is we send a disposable camera to whoever wants one, they can DM us and ask us to send them one. And we want them to capture the rituals that directly impact their mental health. So, you know, that can be anything that can be from meditation to being with their dog to antidepressants and just really opening up this space for people to share the things that ultimately make them feel better. Because for us, we really believe that like a routine is a great thing to have, but I think a ritual is something that you actually covet more and you actually enjoy. And so, those are the things we want people to share. And so, Once they get that camera, they take those photos, they send it back, we get it developed and scan them. And then I get on the phone with them to interview them to get context around what those photos are. And so then every week we share a different person's rituals. And that has now turned into a much longer feature story on them talking about their rituals, but also getting into more things around mental health. So I've started to ask them about like, how do they feel about intimacy and relationships? And I want them to answer that question however they feel comfortable, whether it's about sex or whether it's about just, you know, relationships with friends and your, or your partner, how they feel about antidepressants, how their mental health is currently. And so what we have sort of pivoted to doing, we'll still send out those disposable cameras because we want to make sure we can reach the people that we obviously can't get to, but we have started to shoot people in their homes. And so we now do that um, interview right there. We'll also video it. And so that's where the YouTube component will come into because we're having really, really great conversations and people have been so honest. And I honestly can't thank them enough and Ben too for like letting... All these people trust us in, in telling their story. And so we're evolving that concept and there's a lot more exciting things to come. But this is, you know, our, our baby. It's definitely not a side gig. It hasn't become that anymore. <laughs> no. And we both we both have our own businesses um uh, besides, you know, Andrew Pete. So it's just the two of us right now and it's definitely gonna become something much bigger.
0: I mean, it's absolutely incredible. We'll make sure that we link to the Instagram page and keep us posted when the YouTube is up as well. This is so exciting. You said that routine is different than ritual. And I'm curious to know for you, what's the difference between those two things?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think like routine is something that like, you know, I work out and there are times where I love it, but it feels like a routine and it feels like something that I need to do. Whereas a ritual, like you know, walking with my dog every day and interacting with him feels like something that like I'm excited about and I like actually enjoy. And I say the same thing about my antidepressant. It used to feel so much like a routine. And I'm thinking in terms of like what would are the photos that I would take photos yeah, of, you know, I if I had a know. camera. But, you know, for so long the antidepressant was part of my routine. I like I said I started taking it when I was 9, but until I was 18 I took it inconsistently, which meant that like I might take it once a week. Um it was something I was so embarrassed by even though like friends didn't necessarily know. You know, I just was like why do I have to take this pill? I I don't understand it and I don't think my parents ever really explained it mm. enough to me. And so it wasn't until I was in college that I started to actually take it every day and realize, like, oh, okay, (laughs) this, this helps me. This can help me function in ways that like I never thought possible. And, you know, I look forward to taking that medication in the morning because I know it's going to make me feel good throughout the day. And that doesn't say that like it, yes, there's, there might be some sort of like blanket of like feeling you know, I can function, but that doesn't necessarily mean that like my mood is always great. So it's not something that's just like covering everything up. I still have emotions and anxiety and depression, and it's a constant journey with that. But I would say that like, you know, an antidepressant has helped me. I've tried a bunch of different supplements. And so I think that there is a balance there. Like that is also really important to me. Like I love a more holistic side of medicine, but I also really like Western medicine, and so I think the combination—you really have to embrace both of it and
0: figure out what's right for you. You're speaking my language. I'm somebody <laughs> who was so resistant to going on my anti-anxiety medication because I was like, I teach people how to meditate, and I'm, you know, I'm a health coach, and I should just be eating the right foods, and I this this shouldn't be happening, and I really had to just like. I don't know. Fall down to my knees and accept that you can need both Eastern and Western medicine. In fact, we absolutely do need both. And yeah. I think one of the common fears, the most common fear, is when people DM me about you know medication and my journey with it is that it will just cover up emotions, that they'll be numb. And the right antidepressant or the right anti-anxiety medication should never do that. It really just lifts you up so that you can function and your dips aren't quite so low or quite so high, whatever it is that it's supporting you with, so that you're able to operate at a level where you're able to get out of bed (laughs) and not feel like there's a dark cloud around your face the whole day. Yeah, and I've experienced those
1: experiences as well, where like there, I have felt no emotion. And I've also been on ADD medicine for almost 10 years. And it helped me immensely. Like I got, I got on it when I was in college and I was like, Oh my God, I could have been like an A student. Like, <laughs> what, what the hell? And so I was on it forever. And, um, I never felt like any sort of bad side effects, but I was listening to someone speak on a podcast and say like, I can never cry or I like somebody will say something funny and I just don't laugh. And I was like, oh my God, that's me. I just thought people weren't funny most of the time. <laughs> um, and so I decided to try and get off ADD medicine and and it wasn't to because like something wasn't working. I was like, if it doesn't work, I'll get back on. It's fine. I have been off of it for almost three years, mm-hmm. but you know, it was interesting that like you know, like laughing with you and smiling with you like I those things have changed and I'm still on that antidepressant and I don't want to get off of it. But, you know, I think, like I said, it's all about the balance and and you do the things that you feel like you need to get off of or get on. But, yeah, that's a huge part of my story as well.
0: Do you feel like there's space for all of this to be talked about more in publications like WWD in Vi- like Violet Gray? Are you seeing this start to bubble up more or do you feel like we've got to push it forward?
1: That's a great question. I think it needs to be pushed forward more. i definitely brought in mental health a little bit to WWD and, you know, WWD is the business of beauty. And so it's a, def- it's definitely a different type of conversation that you're having in a different type of writing that I'm doing that I would have done at Violet Gray when I worked there or, you know, when I'm writing for Vogue or Elle. So, you know, it's with the business of beauty, it's really talking about what the brands are doing in the mental health space. And so I've been really lucky that my editor at WWD has been really open to the things that I pitch from both a mental health and a wellness point of view. So I get to really have that piece of writing and write about it from more business point of view. And then when I want to write a first person or something that's maybe like about an expert or something, then I go to the other publications. But to answer your question, I do think it needs to be pushed forward more. I think that there's a lot of ways that we can bring it together and just have a more honest conversation. And it doesn't always have to be like so serious because I know that mental health can also feel like it's a, it is a heavy topic you know, I think we can talk about it from a skincare point of view and how, you know, people have been affected by what they've seen in the media and sort of like, you know, the things that have been like pushed on to them saying like, you need to cover this up. You need to get rid of this. You need to get rid of that. And I think we're seeing a little bit of a shift in that from like new brands. And I'm a huge proponent of niche and indie brands because I think that that's where the innovation is coming from. And also where, you know, the transparency and the authenticity is coming in and you know a brand like topicals who is really trying to talk about all skin is good skin and in their media um, and in their campaigns they show you know so many different you know types of skin i grew up not seeing that and i also was in the industry for most of my career not seeing that and that's a really exciting thing and i think that all links back to mental health so we need to continue to push it forward as long
0: story short mm, i totally agree I'm so curious to dive into a little bit of something that you just mentioned, the business of beauty. This is a billion dollar business. I'm somebody who wears makeup most days, a little bit, pretty simple, but at some level I do feel more comfortable having that on. And part of the reason that I feel more comfortable having it on is because I've seen so many images of What beautiful is. And I know that what we deem as a society as beautiful is to have longer eyelashes that open your eyes and to have an even skin tone and that redness is bad and that dry lips are not hot and all of these things that we subtly pick up or not so subtly pick up over the years. And it all comes back to marketing, right? It's marketing as to why we need these products of course, this is a balance. Like it is fun to get ready for a night out with your girlfriends and to like Mm -hmm. experiment and play around with a bit of makeup and stuff. But I've also been exploring a little bit of sort of the cost of what it is. And it's not just a financial cost. It's a time cost that we give up. It's an energy and a mental cost that we have to pay working in this industry for so long. Do you ever feel jaded by it a little bit? Like there's just constantly yes. a new skincare line. There's just constantly a new thing. It's like now we're doing our eyebrows and no, nope, no, nope, actually we're going to go back to thin eyebrow. It's just ever evolving and we can never, I don't know. What What are your thoughts there? I mean, it's exhausting and
1: people have so many opinions about, you know, the industry is so saturated and some people will be like, no, it's not saturated. Like you just need to find your niche and Yeah, it's saturated, like there's no better word for it. But I am someone who is very loyal to her products, even though, you know, part of my job for years and years, and still to this day is to try new things. And I would say that I've definitely lowered that in terms of what I try. I obviously, you know, after all these years of putting things on my skin, I also know what my skin needs and what it likes. And I will not, I don't want to jeopardize that. (laughs) And maybe that's a little bit selfish as being a beauty editor, but I'm still not, I don't, you know, work... Solely for a publication. So I don't feel the need to necessarily do that, but it's exhausting. And there's so many things thrown at you. And I can even remember a time where, and this is like a super privileged thing. Like being a beauty editor is is so amazing and you get to try so many things and you are talked to by so many experts. And sometimes that is even harder because there's a lot of different people telling you different things to do. But it's also, you know, there's like so many things that can come in to it that just like can really, you know, break you apart. And it's like, I don't have that even skin tone or, you know, I have hormonal pimples. I can't relate to this. And I think that there's also a lot of education that's missing from brands that speak to their consumer about like, I, the one of the things I hate is when a brand says we're good for all skin types. No, no, you can't be. You can't be. Lies. <laughs> um I'm not. Definitely not for cancel culture. I don't call brands out on social media on their bullshit, but I do appreciate the people that do when they do it in a constructive criticism way. And, you know, someone I follow on Instagram who I think is really amazing for that is Charlotte Parlamino. I think I'm saying that right. Ooh. And she's the founder of, um, a skincare brand called Do D I E U X. Um, and she is just full of amazing information and how the term clean beauty. Obviously, most of us know that that it doesn't mean anything, but she just goes to another level about explaining that like saying your product is non toxic it's false because like, why are we putting toxic things into products? You know, like a product that isn't clean versus a clean product, you know, using that term lightly doesn't actually mean anything because like, I'm not putting gasoline on my face. You have to think about it in that way. Well, there's just
0: within the beauty industry, there's no governing body that says this is what we consider or deem to be toxic. And this is what we don't. Now, a lot of "quote unquote" clean beauty brands are saying that some of the products or some of the ingredients that are put into other products are known carcinogenics. So then in that way, are there some products that are cleaner than others? I mean, it, it depends who you're talking to.
1: And so I wouldn't consider all the products that I used to be clean. And that's just because I know they work and I haven't seemed to see an issue with them. And I've been in this industry for a while and I know that there's like a lot of things that can lead to different autoimmune diseases or things that's happening in your body. And so I think it's really important just to be your biggest, you know, advocate in terms of like what you're seeing and what you need to change. So, you know, you do you, but I'm still fine using a combination of like whatever these sort of types of products that I'm using. I try my best not to use the word clean, although sometimes it's the way that we differentiate things now. And that buzzword, I I don't think it's going anywhere necessarily, although I think it
0: needs – we need to figure something out. We need some more clear research-based guidelines, I think. Mm -hmm. What I'm so fascinated by with you, and I hope you don't mind me saying this because you've been so open with your story (laughs) and journey, is that – so much of what you've written about and studied yourself is around beauty, skincare. And yet you have this real ease around it. Like I use what <laughs> products work and I'm okay with this and like okay a little bit of some ingredient that someone's saying toxic like not the end of the world but then when it comes to food there's a very black and white model that you've subscribed to where it doesn't feel easy and it doesn't feel natural and it's like so fascinating how the human mind works. Yeah I mean like I consider myself a pretty laid-back person
1: but of course there's things that come into play where I'm more high maintenance and beauty is not one of them. It's fun to see all these things that pop up. You know, of course, it's super frustrating too. the beauty industry is a frustrating space to be in. And I think that's the case for anyone who works in any sort of industry. But, um, you know, I think that's what makes it interesting is like you get to mix it up and you get to see the evolution of the different things that have sort of hit the beauty industry. Like I've seen so much of that with wellness has sort of become my beat as I've left like being part of like a a sole publication.
0: Um, I found that a lot of innovation is there as well. So I posted a picture of Katie Holmes at New York Fashion Week. And it was a photo. She's wearing this cute black outfit and you can tell I am not a fashion writer, cute black (laughs) outfit. And it's showing off her stretchies, her stretch marks on her stomach. You can't really tell when you're zoomed out on the picture. So then I cropped it again to zoom in. And I said like New York Fashion Week's hottest accessory, Katie Holmes rocking her stretchies. And what do you think? I loved it because she was just out there. She wasn't making a statement about them. She was just rocking her stretch marks, which so many of us have. And it was, like it isn't anything. And I and I loved it. So most people on that post were like, this is amazing. It makes me feel better about my own stretch marks. And then there were a few people who were like, I feel like we shouldn't be talking about women's bodies at all. Is this not further perpetuating the problem by zooming in on a part of her body? And so I listened to that and have been sort of allowing it to roll around in my mind. I think ideally, yeah, we wouldn't be commenting on women's bodies at all. It Mm -hmm. wouldn't be a topic of discussion. And yet I still feel like there's so much commentary about women's bodies that is negative, shaming, really bringing us down that perhaps before we stop talking about it at all, we still need to talk about it and find our own voices in the conversation. I'm curious to know what you think about that.
1: There's both ways. You know, I
0: think that like you
1: showing that picture of her like rocking it, like I think that that's really amazing. And as someone who struggles with body image, I couldn't do that. And then I also really feel what some of the commenters on your Instagram are saying about like, we shouldn't be commenting on women's bodies. And I totally get that. And I think like you chose to comment on her because she's doing something that is amazing and that most women, including myself, could never do. But then I also see the other side of it. So it's hard for me to say like, no, I don't think you should have done that. Or that's amazing that you did that. But I would say that for myself, seeing that photo, first thing I probably would have thought was like, oh, I would have never done that. Mm -hmm. Then I would have been like, wow, that's great for her. And And then I probably would say like, oh, I'm never going to get there. So I'm having my own conversation. It has nothing to do with Katie Holmes. I love you sharing that
0: dialogue. I (laughs) I think at the end of the day for my brand, it's always been about raw beauty, showing all different forms of beauty. And you mentioned previously, you were like my skin, you know, it's not even and I have hormonal bumps that pop up. But we all do. I mean, even the celebrities who are promoting these skincare lines who look absolutely flawless have these things as well, plus yeah. a full like skincare team that are traveling around with them and working with them specifically on this area. And so oftentimes as well, there's so much editing and Photoshop involved in the images that what they're selling for the product isn't even real in the way that they're selling it.
1: For sure. I mean, the amount of times that you ask, like, what's your beauty secret to a celebrity? And they say, like, water. And it's like, oh, my God, you have a chef. <laughs>
0: God damn it. I drink a gallon of water every day and I do not look like Kim Kardashian or j <laughs>
1: Yeah. I think it's, you know, having access to so much stuff, you don't really necessarily know like what's, what is actually working. And I think that that's the case for a lot of people. It's like, you know, you try all these supplements and you don't actually know what's like actually happening. And also just going back to that internal dialogue, I don't know if you've seen the show, um, physical with no. Rose Byrne but it's the first time I feel like I've seen someone in a TV show or a movie having an inner dialogue. She's bulimic in it and is constantly shitting on herself and saying, like, you're such a terrible person. This is the last time you're going to do this. And for someone like me, it could have been really triggering, but um, I was able to just watch it and be like, oh, holy shit, that's me. I think it was actually great because it's like, Everyone who lives in their head is the you feel like you're the only
0: one living in your head. And that's just not the case. It's absolutely not the case. And in coaching, you know, almost a thousand women through the Robbie v Reset, we all have the inner dialogue. I really think for me and what I'm seeing in the health and wellness and beauty industry, what I would wish is that the conversation shifts To our mental health and our mindset, because that is a piece in not only our health and wellness, but also our beauty that has such a huge impact on the way that we're able to show up and how we feel and how we how we exist in this world that just has not been given enough attention. So I'm so happy that people like you are out there paving the way. That you are sharing your words with the world, that you are sharing other people's stories and doing it in a way that's authentic to you because, oh my God, we need it. Thank you. That means a lot. A couple of questions for you. If I was to send you to a deserted island and you could take three self-care items with you, what would you take with you? Okay. Can I make my
1: husband and my dog just like a joint deal? (laughs) Sure. (laughs) So I think that I would bring string to not only make bracelets to like have a hobby and something that I could do, but also they would come in handy if I needed to like use
0: it to walk across something or like catch something. You could tie so- it to... um a tree and swing like Tarzan around. <laughs> yeah, I think that I think that that would be really helpful. I, I also think I would bring
1: Katie Serena's body talk book oh. because it's a self help book, but in like a hidden coffee table book. Mm. It is like as someone who is feels even though like I can hopefully get to a point where like I, I feel better in my body. I also know that like it's never fully going to be okay. And so I think having some sort of guide that isn't necessarily a therapist, but something that I can, it has pictures, you know, there's like, there's a lot to celebrate in there. I think that that would be something that I would bring. Mm. And then I I know you said three, but I'm going to add one more. Dr. Rogers Healing Balm. The healing balm is something that you could apply anywhere. I think I would take a jar of that
0: too. Oh my God, I can't wait to get this. I'm ordering it right after this. Thank you. New beauty tip coming in hot. That was another one of mine. If you could have a conversation with your 20-year-old self, what advice would you give her?
1: What would I tell her? I mean, I would probably tell her that like, you're doing a really good job at networking and knocking on all these doors at 20 I was so I was obviously still in college I went to Parsons and so I had a really great privilege of being able to intern every semester and go to fashion shows that I wasn't invited to and just talk to people and so I mean I remember going up to just like random people and having a conversation with them so I probably would tell her because you know it's it's really hard to give myself compliments so it's really interesting that you asked that and that I actually can say that I would tell her that she's doing
0: a good job because like I never tell myself that. Mm. And now if you imagine yourself as an 80 year old woman, 80 okay. year old Jamie, what would she tell the you right here and now? Uh,
1: that you're working really hard. You've always worked really hard. And you know, I, I there's so many things that I've tried and I think that's all you can do is that if you just like want to get to a better place, then you continue to do that. And so I, I think she would say like you, you tried your hardest.
0: Mm. Last question. If you could write an email that was going to land in the inbox of every woman and then you were to die. I know this gets a little bit – it's a horror story. But this one email lands in everybody's inbox, what would the email say? Mm.
1: take your antidepressant if you're on one. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously be prescribed by a doctor. (laughs) Honestly, I think that I would say that because like, for me, it's become like, it's not funny, you know, taking an antidepressant, but I'm able to bring in sort of some like comedic relief for that and sort of everything that I talk about. Like I always even said in the, in working in beauty, like I just don't, take myself so seriously and so I would probably leave with saying take your antidepressant but also knowing that that could probably open
0: someone could open that up and be like that's kind of funny this conversation could not have come at a better time thank you so much for joining us that's another week of raw beauty talks if you enjoyed this episode please share it screenshot it like straight up there are so many freaking good podcasts out there and the way that we get the word out about this one and continue to have these amazing conversations Mm -hmm. is by people like you sharing it so that would be incredible thank you see you next week Thanks for taking the time to listen to this week's episode. Please take a moment to rate, review, or follow on your favorite podcast app and share this episode with someone that you think could benefit. Join the Raw Beauty Talks community at Raw Beauty Talks. And remember, it's your story, your body, your mind, and your journey. So think about what resonates with you and leave the rest behind. I'll see you next week.